Hello and welcome into the first episode of The Front Page here on the IUS TV Podcast Network, where we'll bring you all the top headlines in this week of sports. I'm Doug Watley alongside Sam Dykema with our producer, Andrew Briggs, with our first episode. Sam, it's going to be a fun semester, lots of sports to talk about. And for those that don't really know you and don't know me, let's talk a little bit about our interest in the sports world and our teams that we root for. I'll let you go first. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Doug. I'm looking forward to a great semester. Spring's an awesome time for sports. we got yeah. March Madness, uh, playoff hunt, and NHL and NBA to look forward to. And then we'll be talking a little bit about the Super Bowl this week. It just happened this past weekend. Um, as far as me, I'm uh, originally from the great state of Wyoming. Um, not a lot of sports teams out there to root for. <laughs> no. um, originally, originally born in Michigan. So, um, I am a Detroit fan in all sports, but football because I couldn't be a Lions fan. Don't blame you. And um, but I have been a, a long time Eagles fan since I was about five years old. So um, that is kind of my background. Was happy to see Andy Reid get one done. We'll talk about yeah. that a little bit more later. Um, but yeah, I uh, just really love talking talking about sports and uh, particularly hoops. Yeah, we'll talk a lot of hoops, especially being in the state of Indiana. Uh, For me, I'm from Chicago. I am all things Chicago fan, specifically the Cubs, Bulls, Bears. Uh, My dad went to IU, so I grew up in IU lore, always uh, an IU basketball fan. He went to IU, I don't want to expose his age, but um, from 77 to 80, so right in between the 76 and 81 titles. Yeah. So he always tells me about that. And, you know, he, even though they never won a title back then, they're definitely seeing better basketball than we have been recently. They weren't going They weren't going four years without potentially making yeah. a tournament. They weren't Every facing that. Yeah, but. Um, my, mom, my mom got here to the year after the 87 championship. Okay. So um, so she didn't, didn't even see it. She missed it too. My uncle, wow, her, her, her older brother was here. Oh, okay. Uh, said it was a crazy time. So. I'm sure. All right, well, let's move on to the Super Bowl. Like you said, the Chiefs win their first Super Bowl since Super Bowl four, all the way 50 years ago. The players were celebrating. The fans were getting in police-tailed car chases before the parade today. And all Andy Reid wanted was a nice juicy cheeseburger and time with his trophy wife. Now, Sam, let me ask you first, just initial reactions from the game. What did you see? What did you like from the 60 minutes that were played? One of the biggest things for me was I was, I was happy we got a great game. Yeah. Because um, I, I don't know. Some people like last year's Super Bowl. Uh, it wasn't my thing. I, I think the Patriots' greatness is awesome, but I don't want to watch that many punts. Gets old. Gets old. So it was uh, it was awesome to get a great game. It's what you want the Super Bowl to be, going down to the wire. Um, great storylines all the way the, across. Um, for me, I, I alluded to it a little bit earlier, and you talked about it. Just so happy for Andy Reid, right? Um, to get it done. I think uh, he's you know he's obviously one of the most respected and loved coaches in the league by his players, by the people who interact with him. And uh, it was time. It was time for him to get a ring. And I think uh, I think him and Mahomes. Probably got another another one in them at some point. At least another one. I mean, we'll see what other teams do. And, of course, the Tom Brady saga, that will continue on for another year at least. Um, but the Chiefs right now, maybe with the Ravens and like the Saints potentially, they're the, the top group of NFL teams right now. And they needed to get past that little hump of getting that first Super Bowl ring. And now that they got it, and they were down too. They were losing – through three quarters of this game, three and a half quarters almost. And the fact that they came back, Mahomes showed, you know, I even though I wasn't MVP this year, I might have been right there. Yeah, I was, I mean, if Lamar wasn't there, he was if you don't have should Lamar, have had another one. For sure. I, I think Mahomes and him, those are the guys. Yeah. Those are the those and I think there's other guys. There's other great quarterbacks um in the league, obviously, but Mahomes and Lamar have uh have revolutionized some stuff, it seems like. So the final score was 31 to 20 and heading into the fourth quarter the score was 20 to 10. So really the game was in control by the 49ers throughout but it was the fourth quarter collapse almost. I don't know if you want to call it a collapse. If you see the trends from Kyle Shanahan there's obviously been the Falcons which <laughs> I wish Justin Berger was here who's currently abroad <laughs> right now and I would have just gone off on him for this. Kyle Shannon, of course, from the Falcons when they lost 
that uh, big lead against the Patriots now goes to San Francisco and loses yet another one. It, it seems so weird, doesn't it? Yeah. Like, it just seems – it seems like there's got to be some kind of correlation. I don't know if there is. I don't – I looked back at it. I, I think, you know, they could have ran the ball more, but they that, can, ran the that ball. Kansas City defense – was selling out on the run. They had eight, nine guys in the box. I mean, the the and that hasn't stopped the Niners this year necessarily. Right. But I think he, he was uh, trying to show some trust in Jimmy G at times, which he didn't do before half, and it it didn't work out. Um, and I think it was a little bit what the Chiefs were doing on defense, but I also think Kyle Shanahan may – I think he's a really smart offensive coach. I think – with a lot of really smart offensive coaches, they occasionally get too smart for their own good. Yeah. If and you will. I, I agree with that. And I being from Chicago, I really saw this this <laughs> year when you see Matt Nagy be an offensive stud and, and just a smart coach and using his really kind of low potential for the Bears talent and making them a playoff team. But then this year, he came back down to reality. I think he did a little bit too much then just wasn't the same. So I think you're 100% right with that. And you see it with Sean McVay, right? He had that one great year. Well, not just one great year, but specifically uh, what I think two years ago where he, his team looked unstoppable, and then they made it to the Super Bowl. But then even even then, it's so hard to attain that like top level of coaching forever. And mm-hmm. you see Andy Reid, it took him a little bit, but now he's there, and it looks like he's here to stay Belichick once he got older. So I think it comes to obviously these young coaches are are very very smart. They understand the game of football. But I just need a little bit more experience to really feel comfortable with all these young guys. I agree. I hadn't really thought about that as much, but it was definitely something I thought about going into the game, yeah. particularly uh when my friends were trying to talk about betting advice. I was like, "Man, the experience is always a good thing to roll with. Mahomes right. and Reed got more experience." <laughs> but, you know, I think with with that, you have two things. You have young coaches with not a lot of experience. Mm-hmm. And I think with, with Nagy, Shanahan, and, and um, McVay. McVay, you all have quarterbacks where the, the verdict's still out. Right. You know, I, I don't – I didn't have any doubts squashed by Jimmy G's performance in the Super Bowl. All my doubts about him are still there. So do I think that Saints game, he was awesome. He, it's there – can it always be there? Is he really, you know, a big uh, a leader of the the quarterback pack, or is he somewhere closer to the middle? Yeah, exactly. And then you look at, of course, the one play that everyone points at. It was a third and ten at about midfield, fourth quarter, one minute and forty seconds left. Garoppolo had a streaking Emmanuel Sanders right down the middle. He was open, ran past two defenders, and overthrew him by about five yards. And that's where the doubts don't leave you. And sure, he had a decent, he had a good season. And obviously, you're not a bad quarterback if your team's 13 and three. You're the most important position on that team. But you're also gonna have the most uh, like seen mistakes. If you make one mistake, especially in the fourth quarter, they're gonna point at you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that's that's something that that Jimmy's got to recover from next year we'll see how that happens and um he's got he's got the arm talent he does he's just got to dial in that accuracy and it you just saw him miss throws and I think that's where um after that early pick by him Mm -hmm. I think that's where Shanahan got a little jittery in that first half and I think that's what led to him making that decision to to not try to score before half yeah which what do you think about that it's been talked about all over, um, and watching it live, I was just dumbfounded. I was like, it's a Super Bowl, man. Mm-hmm. And, and, I mean, KC had just gone for it on, on fourth down earlier with that incredible play design. Like, it looked like KC was playing like it was a Super Bowl, and it looked like the 49ers at that point in the game. Going into half, I was like, it looks like the Niners are playing not to lose. Yeah. They, they came were. out of half. They came out of half playing to win, without a doubt. Yeah. And then who knows what they did. And, I, and it was a lot of what I think, you know, Patrick Mahomes and that Chiefs defense was able to do too. But it was uh, it's just a great game. I was happy with it overall. Yeah. 
Uh, let's look at some of the stats now. We talked about Garoppolo and a little bit of the inconsistency from him. Overall, 219 yards on or through the air, one touchdown, two picks, only one sack. Uh, Mostert for the 49ers had 12 rushes for 58 yards and a touchdown. Debo Samuel, especially in the first half, they really used him to perfection. Three rushes, 53 yards, had a 32-yard rush where you know he broke free and used his speed. That's where Shanahan, and that's where these young guys, I, I like what they do with some of the speed players that they have. Um, and then when it comes for receiving for the 49ers, it was really spread around. No player had more than 45 receiving yards. No player had more than five catches. Uh, the fullback, Ushak, had the only touchdown through the air. So for the 49ers, average stats, I don't think I would – anything really stands out to me no one yeah no one stood out I think that's the thing is is through uh, there was through three quarters I wouldn't say on any either team yeah there was a player standing out to be honest and then you have uh and I think Williams was Damian Williams for the Chiefs was pretty good through the, through the first yeah. three quarters he wasn't outstanding um but Mahomes and him and and I think the entire receiving the whole entire offense uh, completely uh, got there, got refocused going into that fourth quarter and won the game. Yeah, I mean, you look at the stats before the third quarter, or before the fourth quarter, and then into the fourth quarter, it's night and day for the Chiefs. You see Damian Williams, he was pretty productive throughout, but Mahomes really was not in those first 45 minutes. But then his ending stats, 286 yards, two touchdowns, two picks. Damian Williams with 100 four rushing yards, a touchdown, also had a receiving touchdown. If the quarterback wasn't the most important position and if they didn't have Mahomes, I don't know how you don't give the MVP to Damian Williams because throughout the game, sure, Mahomes made the big play. I'm fine giving him the MVP. Throughout the game, though, Williams was the one constant on this Chiefs offense, him and the offensive line working together against a good defensive line and good defense in general from the 49ers. I think for people who 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 vote on um the MVP mm-hmm. it's it's obvious. It's, I mean, the Chiefs I don't think the Chiefs win that came without Patrick Mahomes. Exactly, yeah. So it's pretty valuable. It's worth a Lombardi trophy. So yeah, Damian Williams, you've seen it in other times this year. Sometimes it's been LaShawn McCoy, sometimes it's been Darwin Thompson. So they have a stable of backs, and I think it made it easier for voters to, to kind of overlook that this is part of the scheme. There are running backs who who pop off in this, and, and the most valuable plays of the game were made by Pat. So it makes sense to give it to him. All right, then let's just – any final thoughts from this game? I'm, I'm trying to kind of do some – into next year. Do you think both of these teams have the potential and will – like are the favorites potentially to – Get back to the Super Bowl, or at least get to the NFC and AFC Championship. Um, yeah, I think I think looking at the Niners, this has got to fuel them a little bit. Um, yeah, it has to. They're young and they're a nightmare on defense, and they're not gonna. That's probably not going anywhere. Um, again, you know, will their offense come together the same way it did this year? I think it's it's something that we'll have to wait and see because you alluded to. A couple good comparisons with with Nagy and and McVeigh, and they've they've had a they've had a step back right. in the year after they had playoff success or Super Bowl success. So we'll see, we'll see. I think it's it's the jury's out. I think Patrick Mahomes is going to be the best quarterback in the league for a long time, and uh, I think the Chiefs will be just fine. I think the Chiefs have the unknown of being in the AFC. What's New England going to look like? Because we don't know. Nobody knows. I don't even think Tom Brady knows. <laughs> yeah, and so um, that's always lurking. But they weren't there this year. So, and and they got Lamar Jackson, who's next in line, next to Pat in terms of the rankings. So we'll see. Um, but I think both teams are going to be back in the hunt without a doubt. Yeah. But I think the playoff picture as a whole could look really different. I think there's going to be a lot of movement. I think this rookie class has a lot of playmakers in it. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to have – I think teams are going to look different next year, and, and it, there's going to be a lot of shake-up across the league. I think I would definitely agree with that. There's going to be a lot of young quarterbacks coming in. It's really the golden age of quarterbacks when you look at Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes. You have Drew Brees still in there. Brady is still a above-average quarterback and still a lot of great players like that. Um, so next year, I'm 
sure the NFL season and the playoffs are just going to be just as entertaining as they were this year. Um, before we move on, something that you never hear if they're good, and you'll always hear if they're bad, is the officials. Overall, yeah. you thought they had a good game because everyone's quiet about them, which is usually a positive sign for the for the zebras. I did, yeah. I thought they had a pretty good game. They stayed out of it. Would you? I mean, what? Would you? I would agree. I there was that one. I forget exactly what situation it was, but it was a potential pass interference. Um, it was called in this game, and it was the push off. The push off. Yeah. And I forget who it was, but you people made comparisons to the uh, Rudolph catch with the Vikings, and he also kind of pushed off. That one wasn't called. This one was. Do you compare that? It's tough. I, I, compare, it's tough. I compared the two in the sense that the push, push-offs weren't called for, like, the longest time. Like, when we were young watching football, the, receiver, the, receiver, the receivers we knew, that was – and there, there wasn't as much defensive pass interference. So, right. like, it's, it's obviously been cracked down on. To me, the way I see the rule, what Kittle did – was a push off. What Rudolph did was even more of a push off. Yeah. So criticize the refs from that Vikings Saints game, which I know Saints fans will do. <laughs> and don't I mean applaud them for making the right call and enforcing the push off rule to I think the correct way. You saw him extend the arm. I think they made a point of it on the broadcast, and you could see him lock out that elbow. That's enough to give you separation in that league, and it's a game of inches, as everyone always says. So. It's nice to know that this game was not decided by the referees, though. That one play did not change the outcome of the game. Mahomes did, and that's the way it should be. Absolutely, and I think that's where the NFL does get it right a lot. It does feel like we're only ever complaining about games in the regular season or divisional games or right. conference championships. I mean, these are, this is the best crew that they have. I don't. Yeah, I mean, they have to choose the best crew from the NFL, and I think that's what you realize is, is the best of the best in the NFL. They are pretty good, but they can't work every game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, but moving on to something else, um, you know, Super Bowl was great, but there's something else this weekend on campus here that was a pretty big deal. Indiana basketball. As always. Not a road <laughs> game, so I don't think expectations were high, but the results weren't what we wanted, were they? No, it's the third consecutive loss. First, it was versus Maryland, and then two road games to Penn State and Ohio State. 0 for 3 on all of them. It's tough because you have these high expectations for the Hoosiers, and then they play real teams, and they go into tough environments, and that's when they get tested. And sometimes they show up, like for the Maryland game, they showed up, and they played well. They just blew it at the end. Mm -hmm. That was just a lost cause. They deserve to win that game. But the other two games... They were just outplayed. They didn't have enough effort. Uh, specifically, I think Al Durham, Devontae Green with his shot selection. Trace Jackson Davis, people were saying he was sick, but he didn't get a shot off until late in the first half. Stuff like that where if you want to make the the tournament, right now they are about a 9 seed, 10 seed. Yeah. But if you want to push up, you you got to be consistent at home and on the road. Absolutely. I mean, it's not easy to win in the Big Ten. But on right. the road, uh, that is. It's not easy at home. It's to not be easy at home. Yeah. Of course, it's not easy to win the Big Ten no matter what. Um, you can't give away games like that Maryland one. Just can't happen. And you can't show up and not play. I mean, not play. I mean, Ohio State. It was like we didn't play the game. I mean, they they only lost by nine points. But anyone that watched could have told you the game was over. 10 minutes into the first half. like It, it, it felt it, like it was never got under away. I was watching with my roommates, and we were just like, just, well, we were bummed out. Like, yeah. within 10 minutes of the game going by, we were like, doesn't look like they wanted to play um, or win at the very least. Right. The best play for the Hoosiers that game was a last-second shot at halftime by Devontae Green where he banked in a three that's the most excited I got, and that made the game closer going to half. Maybe they came out with a burst of energy, but they didn't. And Archie Miller, I'm not going to completely blame us on him because a lot of it, you see Archie Miller making improvements. The players just kind of had to keep up with him. And it's just tough seeing three straight games where, you know, you're, you're I think before these three games, what, they were um, 
six and four, I want to say, in the Big Ten or something like that. And mm. now they just lost three. Now they're under five hundred. I don't know oh, if that matters. Five, I think we're five and four. Five and four. Okay. And then you lost three straight, and now you're in that kind of second, third we're, teams in the Big Ten. About yeah, we're like in such a gray area in the Big Ten exactly. right now. And unfortunately, a lot of those other teams in the gray area are the ones we got to play on this back stretch. Mm-hmm. So the head-to-heads mean all that much more. Um, I think I think we gotta we gotta protect home court the rest of the way, and uh, hope we can hope we can kind of get kind of get lucky on the road. In my opinion, at least the way we played on the road so far, it feels like we need some luck. Yeah. But at the end of the day. We have three really good wins already on the books, and we don't have any bad losses on the books. Right. So, the worst it, loss we, we have. They can't keep us out of the tournament at this point. I wouldn't go. I mean, <laughs> it, it depends how the rest of the season goes. There's still nine games left. They're eighth in the Big Ten right now. I mean, the Big Ten's probably going to get at least, what, 10, 11 teams I've heard in? As many as 11, yeah. Uh, the only teams that I can't see getting in are Northwestern, Nebraska. Minnesota probably not, but even them maybe. So strong February can can do a it, lot. It can change a lot, um, and that's just how good the Big Ten is, and that's what Indiana needs to continue to push themselves, and they gotta be they gotta separate themselves as much as possible from that group of let's say like Minnesota and Penn State, even Rutgers. Like they try to get up to them and then pass them if possible. But two things I want to say specifically. One that I've been seeing Indiana improve on, and one that's been the opposite. The improvement, three-point shooting. And this was a problem last year. It was a problem earlier this year. They were 14th in the Big Ten at one point. Now they're slowly moving up. They shot over 50% uh, in their game against Ohio State. That's a good sign because in this new age of basketball, whether it's the NBA or college, you got to shoot the three well. And they're continuing to do that a little bit more and more each game. Al Durham's got a nice shot. Devontae Green, if he takes good shots, he can knock them down. Mm-hmm. Um, you you have players that can shoot. Jerome Hunter's been the big one that's Jerome, improved. Jerome Hunter's growing up in front of our eyes. Um, right. And that's really positive, I think, for Indiana fans going forward. It's obviously a guy who is, who is touted coming out of high school. Mm-hmm. Didn't get to play alongside Romeo, which was the original plan. And... Suffered with with coming back, but it's been really impressive to watch him make his way onto the court and and have an effect for the for the Hoosiers out there. I think. And the good thing is, because of his injury last season, he still got this season and three more after it. So they'll he'll be in the red and white for a while. Um, and then the negative though that I do want to talk about is earlier in the season. And this was when they were playing. Bad teams specifically. They got to the free throw on a free throw line a lot, and they got there at one point the most in the nation in attempts. And I think they were like second in free throws made. But since Big Ten play, and you can blame the officials, you can blame the league itself because that's just how basketball is played. Definitely, they they haven't done it as much. And their last ten games, they're zero and six when they shoot less than twenty free throws and 4-0 when they shoot 20 or more. So that's a sign. It's tough. I understand it's not easy to get to the line that much, but when you see a stat like that, it's obviously a key part whether you win the game or not. That's just something you got to drill into every player, especially the guards. Got to drill into their heads. Well, yeah, to me it's like the guard it's it's a guard and 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 low post player right. thing. I think and I think it, it less degree uh coaching but the way the easiest way to get fouls is not to dribble handoff around the perimeter which they do a lot it's to attack <laughs> the basket i don't care if you're attacking the basket on a drive finnessy's been pretty good slashing at times i'd like to see him be take more authority like mm-hmm. just take the ball and drive cuz he he's good going to the hoop he's got very nice ability to finish around the rim moves well and he dishes well but he doesn't seem to to take the initiative as well as he has in some game. He doesn't seem to do it consistently enough. Smith, also a pretty good slasher, doesn't do it consistently enough. For me, the two guys who are performing really well down there for Indiana are Trace Jackson Davis and Deron Davis. 
getting them touches and Joey Brunk against Michigan State was a huge deal. Mm-hmm. Getting them touches on the block, it's going to get guys to line more. They got to knock them down. Not easier said than done for two of those three for sure. <laughs> but, but I mean, if you do, if you go there and let's say you still miss one out of three, who cares? You're going to line more. That's points that you would not get if you don't do it's that. It's still points without the cl- without the clock winding down. Exactly. And, and that's that's always good. And the underrated thing is, I, I saw it. I was I was at a, one of the IU women's games recently. Mm-hmm. Complete game completely changed when we were able to get their bigs in foul trouble. Oh, it's massive. Completely changed. Open up the lane completely, and. I mean, that's basketball. If you can get people in foul trouble, make them play their less talented players, it's going to work. You're going to get mismatches, and you're going you're gonna to score points. And it's something that you want to see the Hoosiers improve on if you're an IU fan. And it's something that I think is going to be probably a big determinant of whether the Purdue game goes well. Exactly. And you look at the next three games for the Hoosiers, right? All three of them, to your point exactly, it's against Purdue, it's against Iowa, it's against Michigan. Two of them at home, one on the road. If you can get their bigs in foul trouble, because three of them, let's say uh, Harms, Garza's a player of the year right now nationally. He's If you get him in foul trouble, that's massive. And then Teske for Michigan, those are three of the best players on each respective team. If Trace Jackson Davis and Joey Brunken bump them once or twice, miss a shot, sure, get to the line the next time. And that that'll work, and that'll limit their offense, the the opponent's offense, and it, it's just massive for the Hoosiers to do that because their guard play right now is below average, and the bigs are really what's saving them. And if they can get Garza specifically and Harms and Teske in foul trouble, the game can change. Exactly, I think I think we have, there needs to be improvement in the guard play for for IU, and that's. It, uh, it's all connected, obviously, but getting getting the line is going to do a lot for this team, and it's clear that it's done a lot for this team when we did it. And I think it's a, a, a needs to be an emphasis of the offense to attack and not be so passive, no matter who the player is. Um, I like that I use began to shoot the ball more or making it from outside, as you you talked about earlier. Yeah. I think that Iowa game you're talking about Garza. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a huge one at home. I mean, you're the top three player in the nation right now. I think, yeah, I think IU is going to struggle with him, like everyone has. Right. And that Iowa team's really, really good. I've watched them play a good amount. And even when um, I forget who they're playing last week, I think Thursday, um, Garza got in some early foul trouble. He got three in the first half. Wees Camp and and some of those guards are still lights out shooters. Right. Um, so and they're it's not, missing Bohannon too, who is out for the season, who was probably the best player on the team last year. Absolutely cold blooded against IU. Yeah, I mean, always, <laughs> of course. So I think, yeah, I mean, and and McCaffrey's a great coach. He's right. he's a year in year out. He has that team ready to play. Um, that to me is probably the hardest test on the schedule left. At I mean, outside of the road games, I think at Illinois is going to be a huge one. But in terms of the talent. Having Iowa come in here uh, to Assembly Hall, it's going to be a really uphill battle at home. I'll tell you one thing: that place, that Assembly Hall, is going to be rocking, and it's going to be it's going to be a fun atmosphere for the players. Hopefully, they can live up to the audience's uh, energy level and and play to that level. But taking a a step back real quick before we switch sports, just a a broader view of IU right now in the Big Ten, they are. Five and six, right? They are in that middle. Also, five and six, there's actually a lot of teams. There's Purdue, Minnesota, Ohio State. And then there's Michigan right there. The team's right above them, Rutgers, Wisconsin. So that's the mix that they're in. And then you got the Maryland, Illinois, they're up top. Um, that's their mix they're in. They lost three straight. If they can bounce back, get above 500 in the Big Ten will be massive. Also, though, I do want to mention, if you're a basketball fan, you know the Ken Palm rankings which is not just – it takes a lot of things into account. It really does a good job with uh, taking different factors and ranking teams. Indiana right now ranked 41st, which is not a shock. It's a little lower than I feel like they would be. But with that being said, they are the 12th team in the Big Ten, which yeah. shocks me. 
Mm-hmm. I, I can't even believe Minnesota uh, is is ranked 38th and Indiana's 41st. Yeah, I, I don't know enough about everything that goes into everything that goes into Ken Palm's rankings, yeah. but it's not a shock to me on the surface that analytically yeah, that's we're a not point. a great team. Um, and I don't think that's to say we're not a great I don't think we're a great team. I think we're <laughs> a team that an could average give, to yeah, good team yeah. on a given night. And I think that doesn't always reflect well in the analytics. And the fact that, like we talked about with the Ohio State game, it seems that IU comes out and just lays an egg some nights on the road, and that doesn't help you um, in Ken Palm's rankings without a doubt. No, so 30, 41st for them. I mean the Big Ten. I think it's more of a credit to the Big Ten than a diss at IU. Absolutely, that there's that element of it too. There's there's 12 teams out of the first 41 are reserved for the Big Ten, which is insane. It's it's going. To, it's one of the it's one of the strongest conference years we've seen from a conference. Uh, the last one I can remember was sometime in high school, early high school. I think the Big East sent. Yeah, they had, they had a lot. three number ones and ten teams to the tournament, and the ACC three, is... fin- three of the final four representatives were Big East that year, I believe. Jeez. So that was the last time I can think of the domination like that. I don't necessarily see any of the Big Ten teams separating to that final four. A couple of them, Maybe. but I don't see a ton of them that I can confidently say are are a contender. But then at the same time, you look at the teams nationally and i still don't think that there are a lot of contenders i think there's in or out of the big time two that i'd be confident in. i would probably. say baylor and gonzaga maybe baylor and gonzaga but like you have duke, the, kansas maybe i don't know yeah i think duke's looked really good the last couple of days yeah. um but a little bit i mean kind of on that note looking at the bracketology projections right. across the country um you mentioned baylor um, Boston Brackets has us as Indiana playing Houston in an eight nine matchup. Mm-hmm. That would be um, you don't want to be in Baylor's pod in that eight nine matchup because then you're playing them in Houston in the second round. But Houston, Kelvin Sampson. Oh, that'd be fun. That would be a wild matchup. I I think that would be a fun one to watch. Um, Andy Katz also has us in Houston. Would be playing Houston in Houston, so that's not ideal. <laughs> Andy Katz also has us in Houston playing Marquette there. CBS has us in L.A. playing Stanford and with a matchup with San Diego State in the second round. Stadium has us as a nine against St. Mary's playing in Indianapolis as Kansas is the one seed. And ESPN has us playing a seven-seeded BYU in Indianapolis and then a potential second-round matchup with Louisville. So, I mean, it's just a lot of hypotheticals right now like exactly you, you don't know until it gets closer the season can change but right now the consensus seven eight nine ten the consensus seven <laughs> eight nine ten there. and i think amongst iu fans the consensus is get us higher yeah we need to get higher especially if you get to that six seed then you play a three seed it's a big difference from uh from playing that two or anyone else so Right now, Indiana struggling in their past couple of games, but they do have chances and opportunities to change that around. So, ending on that, let's move to the NBA, where a lot of trades have been going down recently. There was a mega trade last night that almost gave me a concussion. It was so much. Uh, four teams involved. The Rockets got Robert Covington. That was the big deal from that. And then the Hawks, the other side of it, the, the two big names I saw were Robert Covington going to the Rockets. And then the Hawks gaining Clint Capella, formerly of the Rockets, a big man, a, a productive big man for them at one point. They was a consistent starter. Now they just kind of flip flopped, and I, like there's obviously smaller names in there, but I'm not sure. I'm going to talk about the Rockets first. Do you think that's a smart move for them getting rid of Capella? Because one, he's been a consistent center on the court, but two, they already have some chemistry things that they have to work out, and a lot of press going for them when they don't win. He's been the one guy that people lean on. He's a funny dude. He's gone. Yeah, the Rock, it was a, it was an interesting move by Maury. Um, they need wing help. 
really badly. Really and bad, Covington, yeah. Covington provides that without a doubt. He's a your typical three and D guy. And they, they I think that I mean it's pretty obvious they weren't gonna be able to pay Capella. That's what yeah, he that's wants. a big thing. So I think they wanted something back. I, I don't know if this makes the Rockets any better. I don't they think they think they maybe even got worse. Yeah, that's what I would say. They might have a more balanced roster around Harden and Paul, but I I don't know. I I just it's it was a little puzzling to me. The the team that it made sense for was the Wolves. They were able to clear a bunch and they're going to try to I think continue to try to make a move for D'Lo yeah. in these last 24 hours. I don't see him getting dealt. Um but I don't see like the Rockets had really I don't feel like any of the teams improved greatly. No. I think getting Trey Young, a big guy like Capella, who's really good in the pick and roll, is going to help them. But even the Nuggets, I mean, that's a contending team. I don't – maybe Noah Vonley is able they to – They got Noah Vonley, the IU guy? Maybe Vonley is able to contribute there. Um, I haven't really seen how Bates Diop has been in his rookie season. He's I don't know if he's seen like the floor time. much. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I really – it was – I mean, it was like a big flashing thing last night, but I'd, it was felt like a really lateral move for a lot of the teams. Yeah, it definitely did. And I think part of it is when you look at the offseason, and that just blew everything out of proportion. They That was not normal for the offseason to have that many big names switch around. So that kind of sucked the air out of the gym almost when this trade, this trade deadline is approaching. It's a four-team trade. That's a lot. But and like what twelve players? Yeah, there's twelve players, 12 players contracts. Um, for for the Clipper or for the Rockets, I just want to say one more thing. Uh, Capella Capella was almost averaging a double double. He had fourteen and nine and a half. And uh, I I just confused. Obviously, it's just got to be the contract, but it's so frustrating for Rockets fans. They're fifth in the West right now. They're really not improving season to season. I don't know how they're going to make that next jump specifically now without Capella. It, it feels like you went from last year you had, you know, Chris Paul and James Harden. This year you got Russ and James Harden. That was an upgrade, I guess. Russ has been really good in the time Harden's been out. But was it really? Is is the end of the season going to be any different? In fact, is it going to be even as good as it was last season? Because yeah, exactly. the West is stacked. The West is absolutely stacked, and you got rid of pretty much the only size you got. Um, I mean, you got to deal with Anthony Davis and LeBron. They want to score inside. So I don't see it as, like, a really great contending move by no. by Maury, but it's puzzling, it to must, be honest. It, it must have just been the, the contract. That's the only thing that I can kind of wrap my head around that – a good GM and a, a talented and, and experienced general manager would do. Um, moving on from that, I do want to talk. I don't have all the details in front of me, but I can. I have the general idea with this Memphis Grizzly drama right now. And I'm oh, sure you've seen yes, some of yeah, it. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's very interesting. So Andre Iguodala, formerly of the Golden State Warriors, was traded to the Grizzlies this offseason and a team he did not want to be a part of. He just had no intention of playing for them. He hasn't. He's kind of just been been there, not doing much. Um, and so a report came out last night that he's not playing for the rest of the season. Or two nights ago, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not playing the rest of the season. He's over. He's he's trying to get traded or else he's, he's sitting on the bench. Um, then, uh, who was the first guy? It was not John Morant. John Morant shouted him out. I cannot remember some some Grizzly player, a young guy too, said uh, Dylan Brooks. Dylan Brooks, yeah. Dylan Brooks in an interview, yeah. He said, you know, I cannot wait for him to play us, and we can show him what Memphis is really about. I thought that's cool because Memphis right now, they're an eight seed in the Western Conference. They're above the Blazers. They're above the above the Spurs. They're a good team right now, and they don't have too much talent, but they're fun to watch. They're fun to watch. They're really and, fun. And to John watch. Morant's got to be the Rookie of the Year. Oh yeah, I well, well, <laughs> we'll see, we'll see. I think John Morant does have to be the rookie of the year because I don't think you should get rookie of the year if you don't play two months. Yeah, but Zion is 
one of the greatest rookies I've seen so far. What do you think about this drama though? What's but your what's with your the drama? Yeah, back to back to Memphis. I what I had heard. I knew that when Iguodala signed signed there, he was like, "I want to be on a contender, not going to play for you guys." And now it's coming down on the trade deadline, and they're like, "We are a contender. <laughs> Come play." And he announced that he's not playing. He wants to go somewhere else or, or whatever else. Bottom line is it's just got to be frustrating for the young guys on that team between Dylan Brooks, John Morant, and Jaren Jackson. Jackson. Yeah. It's like we're carrying this team. We could use your help as a veteran. They probably were. I mean, I would assume they respect Andre Iguodala, especially the ones who have been in the league they and did. played him. They did. They did. And so it seems seems little immature by Iguodala. I think me. that's the initial reaction. That's the initial reaction I had. Um, and you see teams like the Hawks, for instance. They're 13-38 and 38 right now. They're the second worst record next to the Warriors, but pretty damn near right there. And for them, Trey Young's been the star. He's starting the All-Star game. Good for him. Vince Carter... Being that veteran leadership and showing him how to be a professional because Trey Young, he's a young guy. He's what mm-hmm. I think like twenty one maybe, maybe twenty. Uh, yeah, still. <laughs> he might be my age. He he's been a stud, but I don't think without veteran leadership, he's the player and the professional that he is. And so that's where one thing where Vince Carter knows. I mean, I'm not saying Vince Carter is as talented at this point in his career than Iguodala is, but there's something about being a veteran and helping the young guys learn and get better than just being to yourself. And I think that's part of the league. It's it's tough because Iguodala, I see where he's coming from. I get that he wants to win and, and do it because he's still got something to give. But there's there's something to helping young players in the league get better and improving the NBA in general. To, to me, it looks like he wants, I mean... I think it's obvious. He wants to go to LA. Yeah. I'm sure he's been talking to LeBron or vice versa. And I mean, I don't blame him. It, it's it is a better chance to win a title than Memphis, but he said he wanted a contender a, a playoff contending team. Well, you got a playoff contending team. I mean, yeah, seriously. That's the issue. <laughs> so I don't think Memphis is gonna deal him. Um whether it's petty or they think he actually would suit up for them when the trade deadline passes, I don't know. But I don't think they're going to trade him. I think there's a chance they waive him before the playoffs. Maybe. It depends because like, there's a lot of season left. We haven't even hit the All-Star break yet. Mm-hmm. So it's it's very hypothetical still. I think, yeah, exactly. I think that would be a potential option for it. Um, one thing that I did read just in passing was that similar thing happened to another player whose name I recognize. I forget who who it was in it. But... Um, not as good as Iguodala, not as noteworthy as Iguodala, but he kind of had a similar thing where he wasn't with the team or whatever. He wanted to be with a contender, and there's some date in April. If you get cut after the de- that date, you can't sign with a team. Hmm. And they cut him the day after that date, and he couldn't sign with a playoff team. Wow. So, so, so it kind of bit him. They could. They uh, the Grizzlies have the ability to kind of screw over Iguodala if they want to. It'll be a pretty interesting. I mean, everyone knows the player doesn't have the power here. <laughs> exactly. And right now the Grizzlies, like we've been saying, they're an eight seed. Lakers, the team that they might want to play, they're the one seed. So it's it's definitely obviously a lot of time left, but shaping up to be It's It's going to be a fun final stretch for the for the NBA, I think. It's it's getting, starting to get good. And yeah. All-star break will be a, a nice little appetizer Shout for, out for everything. Shout out yeah, yeah, huge dunk contest looking pretty shaping up to be a good one. I know. So it's exciting. It's exciting. We got Dwight back in it. Who knows what that'll entail, but I'm sure there'll be some theatrics and um, it'll be a good final, final, uh, final stretch. So now I think that's for the NBA. That's all we got. Before we go, though, we do want to touch on the Kobe Bryant news and we are a little late to the party here. There's a lot of different stories going on, a little, a lot of personal anecdotes and just memories, but then also just lessons. And obviously, none of us knew him, so we can't say a story that was really inspired us. But 
I never saw him play live. I never knew him. But for me, the thing that I think about when I see Kobe is, sure, he's a great basketball player. That's awesome. He really mastered his craft in that. That's cool. But the fact that he's so multifaceted is inspirational to me. Because obviously, he, like I said, he was a basketball player. That's cool. But then he switched to business, and he was very, very successful in the business world, and he was going to be more successful. And then he was script writing with his Oscar nomination for Dear Basketball. That's not easy to do, especially when you're that you're just doing so much at the time. And then the biggest thing, obviously, he's a father, a husband, a family man, uh, still a fan of basketball, teaching young players how to play, um, whether it's his daughter, whether it's a random team that – needs a message from Kobe in a video. The the multidimensional aspect of Kobe for me is what separates him because I could think of a couple better players. Like There's not many, but I can say, still say that there's better players in the NBA history than Kobe. But when I think about it, he might be the most well-rounded NBA athlete I've ever seen. And it might be Magic Johnson maybe, it, I wouldn't even say Jordan unless you talk about the shoe brand. But even then, I, I think Kobe's well-rounded personality mixed in with his greatness of the game, for me, is, is what I'll remember. Absolutely. I think that multifaceted stuff absolutely encompasses who Kobe was. He was a, he's a modern-day renaissance man, really. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned Magic and Jordan, who um about 20 years out, older than Kobe. And I think we we just you hear it on on a lot of the tributes and stuff. We really don't know what Kobe was gonna do next. No, Kobe could have. That's I the mean, cool part about it. He's, he's so many. Things. There, there's so many things like he already did the move. He did the move. He did all those things that you mentioned. The next thing could have been something totally totally out of, out there, you know. So, I think he had. It's it's a as I mean it's a tragedy right. that it happened and that lives were cut short. Everyone involved. And that uh, a major public figure, influence, inspiration um, was lost. Um, for me, um, I got to see him play one time. I got to see him play D Rose and then D Rose MVP year in I'm Staples. <laughs> and um, Rose had like 23. He had a lot of points going in the fourth. It's tight game. And Kobe. Being Kobe fashion, he deed him up the whole fourth, and they ended up pulling away by double digits. Didn't have a profound effect on me at that time, I don't think, but subliminally, um, defense was kind of my always my thing on the court, and uh, I definitely was always always thinking about um, the model that he was as a model of hard work. And it's interesting that that happened for me because at a very young age. I despised them. Yeah. A lot uh, of people did to be my honest. My first ever my first ever like really sports memory is the Detroit Pistons Lakers series. I love that team with a passion. And I hated Kobe Bryant, Gary Payton, Carl Malone, and Shaq with a passion. So to be able to be back here uh sixteen years later and um list him as somebody who's who's been an influence and motivational speaks to the power and uh, of his character and and his reach I think and it's just tragic to to lose him his family uh, his daughter and the other families involved yeah and you see um there's the seven other people besides the two Bryans there's starting to be some memorials for them there is a baseball coach uh that has his memorial this coming week Kobe Bryant he hasn't or um his family obviously still grieving. They haven't really said much about a public memorial yet, but I can imagine. You see the Staples Center, that same night that the news came out, the Staples Center hosted the Grammys, and everything was just darkened. Everything was had a certain viewpoint on the, the actual show where it wasn't about the music, and it was about the two jerseys on top in the rafters in the Staples Centers. And I don't know, that's just something where it's bigger than sports, and you you see it, and I think the lessons that he taught, the games that he played, it's, it's bigger than sports for him. Absolutely. It's, it's really powerful to see the way that it has affected some NBA players too. I mean, yeah. you've seen, um, and I, you know, how much you can 
I mean, you can definitely chalk it up to playing with the emotion and, and whatever it is. But you saw in the first four games afterwards, Damian Lillard was averaging something like 46 a game or 45. Yeah. And, you know, I think, and he talked about it post game after the Lakers game was one of those games and just how influential he was to a generation of other pro basketball players. You know, these people that are now looked at as the superhero he was, like, he was their superhero. And mm-hmm. that's the craziest thing to me. Um, to ha- to have him, you know, not still around at, at that at the young age that he is, it's, and it's, it's wild. It's interesting. We were just talking about this whole John Morant, Iguodala thing. I don't remember exactly what the record was for the Lakers' final Kobe season, but it was the worst in the NBA. It was under twenty wins, I believe, and. He was still there, and he was still helping the Larry Nances and the Jordan Clarkson. Um, D'Angelo Russell was on that team at that point. And all these players that, at the time, were horrible. Yeah. Absolutely, they weren't good. They weren't as focused as Kobe was. But he stuck with them because he, he loved the game of basketball, and he loved influencing younger generations. And and this, and this the Bus family and the Lakers franchise and the Lakers family that you've heard about, mm-hmm. he, he loved that family too. I mean, and, he, and that I think is one of the coolest things. You are lucky enough to have, um, you know, a, a athlete really connected with your city. But yeah. Kobe Bryant was L.A., you know, and he was L.A. in a time where the ability to – the access to professional athletes we have was growing exponentially mm-hmm. and so i think people got to know him so much more and that's why it's been able to affect and it's everywhere i mean was that the super bowl was that the grammys it's it's not just basketball yeah that's the cool part about it you can tell the impact and the, the days after the stories continue to come um that's that's kobe Bryant, and that's that's what he would like to be remembered for and and just helping the younger generation because he had he helped the like the lebron Kevin Durant, that was one generation, but then he even went and stayed for another generation with a Trey Young, and um, I'm kind of blanking on some other names, but probably like John Morant and other players that looked up to him. So it's definitely a special moment. And it's wild to hear even his contemporaries talk about mm-hmm. the influence he had on them at you know 21, 22 years old. Um, I thought Tracy McGrady's stories were yep. incredibly powerful, just like, He's the reason I made it, basically, is what he said. And it's, it speaks to the the power of, of the mind and the mentality that he carried around and tried to instill in others. Yeah, well, I think, I don't know if you have anything more to say about that. I'd, I know it's a little late, but I think that it's respectable and uh, that we did say our thoughts on the Kobe Bryant news and the impact that he's had. So that's all the time that we have here on the front page for Sam Dykema. I'm Doug Watley. We thank you for listening and we'll see you next week.